I'm Christy Gupton, and I'm an Employee Benefits Advisor. Welcome to Healthcare Solutions, a podcast where we explore innovations in healthcare, cost containment strategies, and employee well-being. We'll discuss every way possible to turn our healthcare system back into the kind of environment where patient care comes first and costs go down as a result. I invite you to join me to hashtag Let's Fix Healthcare. Today's episode revolves around PBMs, the acronym in the healthcare industry that so few people even know about. PBM stands for Pharmacy Benefits Manager. And today I'm speaking with Vinay Patel of Self Insured Pharmacy Networks, a transparent and pass through pharmacy benefits manager with a great story to tell. We'll discuss the world of pharma and even touch a bit on independent community pharmacies and their reemergence as a key to better health. Listen here as Vinay Patel helps us learn about pharmacy benefits management. Okay, so today I'm with Vinay Patel, and we are going to be talking about PBMs. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to even understand what a PBM is. Uh, it does stand for Pharmacy Benefits Manager, and it is the prescription drug benefit on, on your health plan. But Vinay, beyond that, I think so many people, even the ones who pay for the prescription drug benefit, have no idea what it all means. Mm-hmm. Help us figure out what a PBM is, and then I'm going to ask you some more questions about that. <laughs> Definitely. Christy, thank you so much for having me on and uh, being a part of your wonderful podcast series. Thanks. Uh, so, you know, we... Uh, We'll, we'll start from the basics, as you said. What is a PBM? Uh, and that's important for everyone to know because of how complicated and convoluted uh, pharmacy benefits are. Uh, and essentially, pharmacy benefit managers, or PBMs, were created to process claims. Mm-hmm. Just like TPAs on the medical side. In essence, if you want to think about a PBM, they aggregate all of the prescriptions filled at thousands of pharmacies in a particular network, and it gets all those claims get sent electronically through the PBM, and then the PBM has one. It's sort of a one-stop shop for employers to go to and say, "Where did all my members get my drugs filled? How much do I owe the pharmacies? How much do I owe you to administer that process? Administer the claims." Mm-hmm. Very similar to the medical side and TPA. It's, it's a mirroring on the pharmacy side. That's essentially what a PBM does now. They've added a whole menu of services that they offer employers that makes things even more complicated, like rebate management and uh, clinical management services, where they try to do disease management and call center sort of um, managing of the members to help their optimize adherence to medications and uh, and disease state management as well, uh, and then. Uh, you know, and, and, and formulary management, uh, these list mm-hmm. of drugs that are covered and why that's so important, that's pivotal to how uh, a lot of PBMs make money is that list of drugs that they have covered, which is called the formulary. Sure. Uh, and there's all these other small services as well, mail-order pharmacy, that these PBMs also, the big guys own their own mail-order pharmacies, uh, and specialty pharmacy, which is now the growing trend and all, right. eating up a large portion of this healthcare budget for employers and other plan sponsors. Sure. We could say that the most of the effort is going into accentuating the specialty side. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that is the, 
the trending side. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. So there's a lot of attention being paid right now in the news about the cost right. of pharmacy um, services. So we're starting to hear this word batted around um, tr- transparency, mm-hmm. right? And in a previous episode when I interviewed um, Mark Watson and Kent Thomas, uh, we agreed in, in, I think that was episode eight, that um, the word transparency is almost lost all meaning because too many people are throwing it around in places where it um, is not appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> And I heard this quote uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, and I'm going to steal it and use it probably for the next millennium if I can, but I'll give credit where credit is due. So it came from uh, a great guy by the name of Tim Thomas, who has a consulting firm called Crystal Clear Rx, and um, he described the definition of transparency. I hope everyone um, gets a little chuckle out of this. He says, if, if my house is the prescription um, plan, the, um, the PBM contract, mm-hmm. if my house mm-hmm. is the PBM contract, mm-hmm. and you're the employer and I'm the PBM, if you come to my house and I open up the door and say, there's money in here somewhere in this house, if you can find it, it's yours. <laughs> he said that's being that's transparent, transparent. Right. but the problem is that's not enough for employers they need a true fiduciary on their side right. since you run a PBM <laughs> tell, tell us your definition and, and in a way that employers who maybe have never inspected their PBM contract can understand how would you draw the line and compare and contrast transparent PBM as opposed to fiduciary PBM? That's a great question, Christy. Uh, so here's, here's how we think about PBMs. And, and as you mentioned, right, transparency is a muddled term. Uh, it can mean so many things in this industry. And we've sort of, uh, it's a buzzword that's supposed to mean more than just the traditional contract. And, and there are transparent PBMs that offer both types of contract. And when it boils down to it, it, on the spreadsheet, sometimes traditional contracts look like you're saving more than on a transparent contract. And that's sort of the smoke and mirrors of the PBM industry to sort of sway you to that traditional contract where there is spread pricing. Mm-hmm. Essentially, Plan sponsors, employers, government entities, health plans get overcharged for drugs and pharmacies get underpaid and the PBM keeps the difference. Mm. And so that's the traditional model and, and they want to sort of steer people to that direction so they, that when they spreadsheet these, these prescription claims analysis, they'll sort of show how you can get better savings in the traditional model. And then you have transparent, which is now you know the buzzword to try to move away from traditional to say, okay, look, uh, transparent was supposed to mean Exactly what the pharmacy gets paid is what the plan sponsor is getting charged. Um, but, but there's also different versions of transparency. Sometimes PBMs label transparency as passing 100% of rebates on to mm-hmm. plan sponsors. And that's what transparent means. And it's, and it's all dependent on what's in that contract. And there's so many different variations of, of the smoke and mirrors game that continues to get played because the big PBMs 
still have to maintain their revenues. They, right. They have these... Um, they well, have this... Optum has $100 billion they've got to make this year, <laughs> right? right? And, and next year right. and right. keep increasing on that, that right? right? right. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, and so that's what, that's what transparency is supposed to mean. And there's various different meanings of transparency. And then when we cross over and sort of compare that to a fiduciary model, that's supposed, what that is, in essence, is some contract language that states, I'm doing this in the best interest of my client. Mm-hmm. My actions that I take are meant to be as uh, as if I am part of that plan sponsor, that I own that money as much as that plan sponsor does, and I'm going to manage it with fiduciary principles. Right. Uh, and this is where we get into the model that we've put together that sort of... in and sort of highlights how we are going beyond transparency as well. Mm-hmm. In that, today, no one knows what the true costs of drugs are. When plan sponsors get a bill for their drugs that their members have gotten for the year, for the previous month, they see a price on that spreadsheet that tells them, here's how much this drug cost you as the plan sponsor. That's the cost to you. Mm-hmm. That's not the true cost of the actual drug. There's because of how pharmacy benefits are so complicated and convoluted, there's so many different list prices for drugs that uh, it's a shell game. Mm-hmm. And, and plan sponsors think when they see that number on that spreadsheet that that's what the true the cost of drugs are. Uh, and we're here, we're going out and our message is we're using the true cost of drugs at pharmacies using something called NADAC pricing, okay. uh, national average drug acquisition cost. That's supposed to be an average of the actual prices pharmacies are paying to buy those drugs. And when you get a line item sort of spreadsheet on your claims from our PBM, you'll see that this is how much drugs cost, and then we have a margin that we pay pharmacies. So now you know exactly how much you're paying for drugs Mm -hmm. and exactly how much you're paying for pharmacy, whereas in today's spreadsheet, you see all that in one number, and you don't know exactly how much pharmacy got paid, and you don't know how much the drugs cost because you're seeing all that in one number. Because it's all kind of a summary-type bill. Exactly. Right, right, right. Um, you know, when you see that $1 dispensing fee in typical PBM contracts, you think that's exactly how much pharmacy got paid. I paid a dollar for that pharmacy to dispense that drug. But in essence, in that actual drug cost, there's a margin there. And you don't know what that margin is. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to eliminate that margin on the drug side and move everything over to that dispensing fee number to, share, to tell you exactly what you're paying pharmacy. Sure. And you'll know exactly how much that price is on each level now. Sure. So... I was in a conversation with um, a colleague. It, it was actually a, a, a group we were participating in the um, master's degree program that I'm uh-huh. in through Lynchburg University, uh-huh. uh, the first and only one of its kind uh, in health benefits design. So um, there is actually a HR director who's in the same program as I am. And so uh, on a group call, we were discussing pharmacy benefits, and she mentioned that when they were looking at their PBM um, reports, that they could tell, in the in the data, they could tell that the same drug, same NDC number, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. same pharmacy, same prescriber, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> same dispensary, and the fluctuation, yes, the fluctuation <laughs> from month to month for that wow. same drug was hundreds of dollars. Oh, wow. So what is it going to take for us to get to the point where a person like that, an HR director for a large company, 
can pull down a report and see that the same prescriber prescribed the same drug with the same NDC code and the same pharmacy filled it every time and there's not that kind of fluctuation. I mean, is that possible? Can we get to the point where, say, I don't know, Lipitor Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) basically costs Mm -hmm. the same dollar amount every month? Mm -hmm. Can we get to that place? I believe we can. Uh-huh. How if do we, we do it? If we all focus on a, a, a standard list, a standard price for drugs, the true cost of drugs, right. we can normalize that price. Right. And we can all say, look, there's going to be some fluctuation. We can't eliminate all the fluctuation because drug prices sure. change from month to month uh, based on supply and demand. Sure. Uh, but it shouldn't be hundreds of dollars. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, manufacturers... Uh, have basically two times out of the year that they will adjust the price for brand name products. Insulin, uh, asthma medications, specialty products. That one manufacturer makes a drug, they'll usually have two years, two times out of the year, they'll do a price increase. I see. Uh, In the beginning of the year, and then sometime late fall, uh, they'll have a price increase if they want to. And most of them do it you know, in the beginning of the year, but they may have a second price adjustment, uh, mm-hmm. second second time uh, in the year. And, uh, but outside of that, outside of those brand manufacturers increasing the price drugs, just on the uh, distribution of drugs on the supply and demand, there's some small variation. And we all focus on a standardized, standardized cost of drugs that pharmacies are actually buying them for, we should be able to normalize and minimize these high fluctuations when it's the same drug, the same prescriber, the same pharmacy right. from month to month, right. uh, the same exact drug when exactly. you get down to the NDC or national drug code level. Right. Uh, it should all just be normalized. But you know what these contracts are based on is a list price called average wholesale price. Mm-hmm. And these wholesalers that aggregate all these drugs from all these manufacturers and sell the pharmacies, they're the ones setting the prices. And that's why there's some wide variations in those prices because sometimes they want to make a greater margin on a product. So they just say, well, I get to set the price, so let me increase the price. And then in the contracts, it says you're using that price that the wholesaler set, this average wholesale price or AWP price. Mm-hmm. And that's where you can get a lot of this fluctuation because... Someone in the supply chain wants to make a more of a margin, so they just have to increase that list price, and they get to make better margins on their sure. products. Hmm. Yeah. Seems like not only supply and demand, but normal market-based competition ought to be able to disrupt mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm definitely a, a believer in in free markets, and yes, if you're just constantly getting um, increases, mm-hmm. when you should be able to cost compare that um, with maybe other supply chains Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. or other delivery um, into that same supply chain. Mm -hmm, Yeah, Yeah, Mm -hmm. you're right. It it should be a buyer's market, not a seller's market. Right, right. Well, maybe we'll get there. (laughs) We're all working towards it, the small coalition of us. (laughs) Sure. So another trend that I I think I'm seeing Mm -hmm. is that more primary care doctors, mm-hmm. especially um, on the independent side, the, the direct primary care physicians uh-huh, that uh-huh. have sort of hung a shingle and said, I want to um, wanna work outside of PPO networks mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and just work with people who, um, you know, 
want to pay cash. Right. And and that when I say people, that could extend to employer groups mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Um, many DPC practices have a dispensary of some kind. Maybe they just have a little closet where they keep um, some pretty common generics. Right. Um, right. Maintenance kind of mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. But then maybe some of them are, are also becoming large enough um, that, that they can have like a, a small space uh, with a pharmacy on site. Right. Give us right. some insights about how that's working. And I want to take a, just a step back here, Christine. Correct me if I'm wrong. What, what, the, what our healthcare system has done is remove that relationship that the patient has with the provider. Providers are under pressure to see patients every seven and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. And so they got to just burn through through, those patients. Mm -hmm. And what providers want and what patients really want is that relationship. They want to reconnect to their doctor. And so that's why this model works so well. Providers want to get out of the insurance hamster wheel and patients want a better relationship with their providers. So that's why the system in, our, in, in my mind, from what I've read, from what I've experienced, works so well because mm-hmm. they can now have that direct connection with their patients like they've always wanted to. All, they, all providers want to do is take care of their patients. They don't Absolutely. want to have to deal with billing codes and, right. and insurance companies and authorizations for procedures that they think that their patients need. Uh, and, and that's why we think direct primary care has not only d- develops a cash pay model but gets rid of the whole in-between people in providers taking care of their patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so from that model, and we are big proponents of DPC, direct primary care, and in partnering with direct primary care to then say, okay, you guys got the medical care down. You guys have time that you can spend with your patients. Now let's get you access to those drugs. Because mm-hmm. after those patients leave those direct primary care practice, they still have to, to deal with pharmacies in their community. And uh, there's a big issue with cash paying prescriptions and how there's there's even wide variations in cash paying prescriptions uh, that uh, when patients have to go into these pharmacies to pick up drugs that they see. Just pharmacy to pharmacy, there's so there's so much of a wide variation in right. how much drugs cost for these uninsured patients. So if you have employer-based insurance, you're just going to use your insurance and it's going to cost the same. It doesn't really, technically, it doesn't matter where you go. Yeah. Although there's some variation there. Um and so we're partnering with uh, direct primary care practices to say, is, the, is there a subscription model that we can offer now a list of covered drugs for this subscription model that's just common drugs, right? I mean, 90% of the chronic medications that, uh, 60% of the chronic medications that people take are, you know, just these generic drugs that shouldn't cost hundreds of dollars. Right. Uh, it should just be, you know, Covered under your basic benefit, just like direct primary care covers a, a menu of basic primary care services for this mm-hmm. monthly fee. And that's the model we're, we're going out to market and we're, we're partnering with direct primary care practices and partnering them with pharmacies that will you know, fall into the subscription model, offer their patients these list of covered drugs, uh, chronic medications and antibiotics and one-time use medications uh, that are covered, and then enhancing what services they already provide if they already have a small closet offering them a full suite of pharmacy services that you know, sort of accompany these drugs and these products that uh, that not only direct primary care, but plan sponsors don't know about. Here's the message that we hear about when we go out to talk to providers or to employers. 
And, and I'll ask you a question. I'll sort of set this up. Mm-hmm. So if you were to guess, and you probably already know this because we've talked before, but if you were to guess at how many pharmacies in the country are independently owned, locally owned mom and pop pharmacies, if you had to put a percent number on there, what would you say? Percentage? It's got to be less than 10. Okay, single digits. Yeah. Right? Single digits is, and that's exactly what we hear when we talk to providers and employers. And the message we want to take out there is that a third of all pharmacies in the country are independently owned. Oh, wow. Locally owned mom and pop stores are in the woodwork. They're just sitting there doing their work, taking care of their patients every day, right? Mm -hmm. That people don't know about them because these employers, the only thing they're getting pitched is CVS and Walgreens. The big ones, You've right. got to have CVS and Walgreens in your network mm-hmm. if you want to have access. And there's no doubt that they there's they represent a large portion of pharmacies, but as a whole, independent pharmacy, locally owned community mom and pop stores are bigger than any individual CVS chain or Walgreens chain and represent 22,000 stores throughout the country. When we have about 66, 68,000 stores inclusive of all groceries, you know, Retail, sure. CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid, Small Marts yeah. uh, in the country. And that's the message that we want to take to direct primary care and employers to say you can partner with these pharmacies that are already in your community working hard for your members and providing care that's above and beyond uh, what, what, the, you know, what the usual sense you get at a pharmacy, right? They have home delivery service that these right. community stores offer uh, at no, sometimes at no additional cost to the members or most of the time at no additional cost to the members, special packaging for your medications so that they can stay adherent to their medications, yeah. a relationship that you get with your you know, pharmacist that owns the store mm-hmm. when you walk in there, that they know them, they know and trust them, and that can sort of affect behavior at, to a better degree than um, just getting a call from sure. you know, a call center from, a, from a, an insurance company trying to change how you take your medications, how healthy you are. Yeah. And I have to believe that even the pharmacies, pharmacists in the big box pharmacies even want to do more mm-hmm. relationship-based oh, yeah. care. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I have a family member who mm-hmm. manages a big box pharmacy. And so, mm-hmm. um, because I can just go right to her, um, mm-hmm. that's where I get my prescriptions filled. But and, and, and she's a close family member and loves my children like they are her own. Mm-hmm. And she would do anything for them. Well, last year when my oldest was going off to summer camp, I said, okay, he needs, it's required that he has his prescription um, packaged in a blister pack. Okay. Right? Um, so that the nurses on staff at the camp don't have to you know, take right. pills right. out of a right. bottle. They, they can just, just punch it punch out of a, right. out of right. a little right. Pouch. blister pack. Mm-hmm. And she looks at me and says, well, we don't do that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I no. gave her this puzzled <laughs> look like, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you would, you would do, you would give the shirt off of your back to a stranger. Yeah. She's that kind of person. Mm-hmm. But because she works in a hierarchy where those kind of decisions are made That's for right. her above her That's head. Right. And they basically say, no, for the volume that we're doing, you don't have time mm-hmm. to do Correct. blister packs exactly. or to do customized Correct. care delivery for any mm-hmm. one patient. Mm-hmm. Right. But I have to believe because of the nature of of her who she is who she is 
and and how caring she is, she'd love to do yeah. that if it was possible. So in community pharmacy, it it seems that that is the panacea of that that personalized relationship yes. driven right. Right. care model, but it's so underutilized. Right. I right. I'll, I'll liken it to something I feel like I experienced last night. So I, I came into town. So here we sit. Mm-hmm. It's it's um, May 2019, and we're in Raleigh, North mm-hmm. Carolina. So mm-hmm. I'm a Carolina grad. So I'm a Tar Heel, born and bred. Right, my blood runs Carolina blue and all that. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm driving in to stay at a hotel that I picked online, mm-hmm. um, and I, I I find myself driving right through NC State's <laughs> campus. I'm like, wait a minute, I chose <laughs> I chose a hotel room on the Wolfpack campus. I, this can't be right. I should have investigated this a little bit more. Maybe I should have used that chat feature, you know, on the Hilton Honors app to, to, to map this out and make sure I was staying, you know, somewhere that any decent, um, you know, uh, God-fearing Tar Heel wouldn't stay on NC State's campus. And I'm thinking I should have had something like a, a concierge. Um, but mm. I have to liken that to... Mm the way a person um, could sort of rely and depend on a professional to, to be their concierge um, as opposed to in such a huge volume-based environment right. where you, you have to know that those patients are having to do a lot of research on mm-hmm. their own. Sure. Sure. They're right. having to... They, they have a, a, a lack of a comfort level with how do I administer this drug mm-hmm. or how do mm-hmm. I use this, this pen and this injector and this, um, y- you know, this dosing or, or especially if it's for their child, you know, mm-hmm. and so they mm-hmm. have to learn uh, different things. There's just not time for that. And the space right. isn't, the this, this space in a big box pharmacy store is not conducive to that. There's... If, if there is a counseling area, it's out in the great wide open where everyone can hear, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and you feel rushed because there's a whole line of people Deep behind you. Right. So mm-hmm, I have to mm-hmm. believe that um, what um, my buddy Carl Schusler calls the, the local care team, um, yeah. which is the relationship-driven primary care doctor in mm-hmm. um, constant contact with the the uh, local pharmacist, right. local independent community pharmacist, mm-hmm. and then a local community hospital um, that can, you know, accentuate that relationship with mm-hmm. more advanced right. um, care if needed. And and he, he likens it to, you know, Marcus Welby and uh, yeah. back when, you know, we could actually call our doctors and, and have that sort of relationship but you know what i don't know how many patients marcus welby had but it couldn't have been four thousand right that the national right. average for fee for service uh, wow. primary care wow. is somewhere between 2500 and 4000 patients just to break um or you just to have some sort of a profit right. margin right. 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 you know for those and then in in direct primary care we, we find out no you don't need nearly that much right. You can you can have a very nice profit for you know somewhere in the neighborhood of four to six hundred patients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe right. Marcus Welby didn't have that many patients, but he still had a very fulfilling career. Right. Right. And of course, we're talking about a, 
a TV, TV character, character here, but <laughs> I'm personalizing, you know, this TV character. But I, I have to believe if we're trying to achieve the, the quadruple aim, you know, the cost and quality, the, the patient experience, that we can't leave out the physician experience. And that what ha- is what has been left out for a long time in fee-for-service. So that phys- the physician experience, but that is also likened to the rest of the local care team, mm-hmm. the, the pharmacist's mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. too, rather mm-hmm. than just, right. you know, uh, when I hear my family member talk about how many prescriptions she filled in a day, I mean, it's in the thousands. Yeah. How can you have that kind of um, fulfilling experience when it's like running a marathon? Um, so get, give us maybe, I'd love to know, like what's a day in the life (sighs) of a community pharmacist? That's all for today. Join us again next time for more with Vinay Patel. Thank you for joining our important discussion as we attempt to hashtag let's fix healthcare please subscribe to our podcast and let us know what you think for more information on the work we do at custom benefit solutions visit our website at www.custombenefits.work